Joining us on the program today, we have a couple of state senators from the region. We have Lonnie Paxton from Tuttle. So, uh, Senator Paxton, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, right next door from uh, Kingfisher, and also represents Caddo County, Darcy Yak from Kingfisher. So, thank you, George. Darcy, thanks for the invitation. For it's, good in. be, uh, it's good to be back. You bet. Uh, it's been a while since you guys have been on, but wanted to kind of get an update on. Uh, what's happened over the summer and, of course, uh, getting ready for the legislative session that will start coming up here in, in a couple of months. Uh, but uh, here we are in November and uh, just wanted to get an update on uh, the most recent news out of the state capitol is redistricting. And that's a big issue for uh, the guys and gals that are already, you know, in office and uh, maybe causing an issue for those that want to be in office that uh, Darcy and I were talking about earlier, Lonnie. So. Talk about, you were over the, kind of the redistricting process for the Senate, right? That's correct. Myself uh, in the Senate and Ryan Martinez, the state representative from Edmond, was the House chair of that. So we worked together to put these put these maps together. And uh, a little more compact, I guess, for the most part. Well, it, it the uh, you know, we're talking about the state House and state Senate. So we worked on those and we adopted... I guess called the you know the first phase of that back in May because our constitution in Oklahoma says you know made it clear that we needed to adopt those as soon as we as soon as the census was was completed, and so but the fact is this the federal government did not give us the actual data until August so we worked off estimates in the spring we adopted maps had extremely really good bipartisan votes in the Senate the vote was 46 to 1 so that's about as good as you can get and uh, we were very proud of what we had accomplished but then we got the data that came in the actual that came in in August and then the uh, the detailed data came in in September and it turns out the federal government estimates were not quite what we needed them to be and especially the suburban areas had seemed to have grown more than what we anticipated, and the rural areas had shrunk a little more than what we had anticipated by those estimates. So we had to come back and kind of maybe a little more than tweak around the edges. We had to push some things, and so a lot of districts got closer to Oklahoma City and Tulsa, and the rural areas had to grow to take those spaces up. So talk about your district, which uh, includes parts of Grady and Canadian counties? That's correct. Right mm -hmm. right, right now it actually has a couple of miles in Kingfisher County. All right. Uh, but my neighbor to the north and northwest, Senator Yeck, will be, um, he had some rural areas that he's coming in from the west and, and pushing into a lot of the Canadian County areas. My Grady County area doesn't change a whole lot. I lose some of the area over by Blanchard. That, that Senator Garvin will be coming up from the south and taking a little bit more than what she has From now. Duncan. Yeah, yeah, from Duncan. And so she'll, she'll kind of come up to the Bridge Creek, uh, Blanchard area, take a little more there. Up in Canadian County, I lose about 500 square miles of land, kind of the Calumet, Okarchi area. Basically everything kind of west of Areno and north of Areno um, will be going into Senator X district. And then I get pushed a little bit more into the Mustang area. So my district right now, you could call it a rural and suburban district. You're right there on the on the yeah. border there, I guess. Yeah, right? it, so, it's, yeah. it's pretty well a suburban district now. Mm -hmm. And so, all right. So Darcy, more rural, obviously. And do you still have all of Caddo County? I do have all of Caddo mm -hmm. County. My district is still remains for the most part rural. Uh, currently, the district that I inherited um, from Senator Ivester is six counties. It's most of Kingfisher County, all of Caddo, all of Blaine. Uh, most of Custer, Custer, it, it does not currently include uh, Weatherford and Clinton, and then all of Beckham County and Roger Mills County. So if the proposed map, if it's passed, um, I will lose those western two counties. So currently my district goes west all the way state line, mm -hmm. so it goes a long ways out there. So I will lose those two counties and pick up the rest of Custer County. So population I'm losing will be offset, if, again, if this map is, is passed. 
by gaining Weatherford and Clinton. So, uh, and a little, I'll get a little bit more of Kingfisher County going forward. What Senator Paxton mentioned before, I'll get a little bit more of my home county, which is Kingfisher County. And when will that uh, final approval come through? Well, we're going back in for special session. I think November uh, 15th is the first day of special session, but it'll be on the ballot next year. So uh, what we see, what results from this new map will be what we see on the ballot uh, come next June for the primary anyway. All right. Very good. So uh, so working out pretty much in favor for you guys, it kind of sounds like. So maybe a little less travel. Although you might have to go a little further. Well, you don't have to go all the way to Elk City. Well, right? <laughs> really, I have mixed feelings about it. I'm yeah. going to accept whatever map that we get, sure. obviously. But uh, I campaigned in 2014, and, and I've gotten to know a lot of people out west. So that's the communities of Elk City that you mentioned. Also Sayer, Cheyenne. So in this process, whether it's campaigning or since I was elected, when you're going back out for events or whatever, I've really made some great contacts out in those areas. And Really, I feel like um, I've developed those contacts, and that's kind of, to me, that's one of the best part of this job is when issues come up to Capitol, I have those contacts, and I know who to call if it's an education issue or if it's a health care issue or a public safety issue because I've developed those contacts. So uh, I'll miss that, but I have told the people in, in Oak City and some of those communities that look, don't know really for sure how this is going to play out, but it looks like I'm going to lose these communities. So. A lot of those people already have my cell number, mm-hmm. so I said, "Feel free." I'm still a, I am the senator from Senate District 26, but I'm also an Oklahoma State senator. So, don't hesitate to call me if there's something's going on because I want to hear from you. And conversely, don't be surprised if I call you, even though you're not necessarily my constituent going forward. Well, that's that's good to still have that relationship, and you want input from uh, all segments, not just your district, primarily your district, but if you've got some other folks the, that uh, you've grown to know and appreciate their well, their knowledge sure. you, and, it's yeah. like any other thing the longer you get to know somebody you develop a trust right. relationship mm-hmm. with them and i think it works both ways so yeah i, I look forward to using those people using them but i right. look forward to referring to those <laughs> <you> people go. <laughs> going forward and you know it's also it's one of the more interesting things of being the chair of that committee was seeing that relationship that you know these legislators have with their districts and so you know it's just a matter of what the population is and what has to happen. But like Senator Yak said, you lose people out of your district that, you know, you, you build relationships with. And so that's, that's one thing I saw it throughout the entire state. I've heard of towns now I've never knew existed. There's a Titanic, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. out east of Tulsa that I, I didn't know existed before. And so lots of little quirks about every district. And the, you also see the passion that people have like, Oh, I don't want to lose that part of my district because of, you know, fill in the blank and a lot of, a lot of personal connections that's been made. And, uh, and so that's, what's, that's, what's been neat about my job is I've learned about all these different parts of the States. And, you know, I learned how important the Kaimichi river is and, and push my tall, uh, yeah, whatever county it is down there, they all yeah. mix together anymore. But, uh, but you know, that center down there, that, that river was real important to him. And, you know, and, and so we wanted to, you know, keep that in his district, but actually use it as a border between two districts. And so you learn all these different things throughout the state. And, and, uh, and so that's, what's been fun about this, but it's also been, you know, a little bit of, of, uh, of, of a little bit of stress is because you're trying to accommodate what, you know, we received in public input as well as what the legislators have told us. And so you try to put all these things together. And we have 48 districts to draw, but the House has 101. So I guess my job was a little easier. Than half what, is, yeah, yes. half as difficult as, yes. as the House. <laughs> Let's talk about some interim studies uh, that you had uh, over the summer and uh, the results of those and what we might be able to see maybe legislative-wise coming, coming in February. Well, you, you never know what's going to come from those right. from those interim studies. So I'm chair of public safety, and so we we had some some interim interim studies 
um, about some things that maybe we you know haven't haven't thought about before. So um, Senator Dave Rader from the Tulsa area, he had an interim study on the reclassification, the criminal reclassification of crimes, uh, about kind of where they fall. So we have a little bit more. Um, maybe uniformity and when a sentence comes down, the DA and the judge knows what's actually going to be served. And so that's one of the things that the district attorneys have came to us and said, you know, sometimes they ask for big sentences because they don't know what they're actually going to be serving. So there's some other states have, have had these little more uh, kind of, I guess, a truth in sentencing in a way. So you see what the what the jury recommends as a sentence, that's what they're actually going to serve. So sometimes maybe you won't get these outrageously long sentences for some crimes that maybe shouldn't need it. Um, because you know it's a little more accuracy in, in what in what those are. So that's kind of the reclassification. Uh, so that was one of the studies we had one on uh, a senator from Oklahoma City. She had an issue with um, lactation in prison. With that's women who have had babies about being able to to still provide breast milk to those babies. They don't. You know, so my first thought was, are they bringing the babies in the prison? That's not what it is. And so it was. That sounds like something. Why would you ever study that? It was a very interesting study, and that's why I like those type of type of studies because it makes me. Think kind of think outside the boxes I'm normally in and and so I, I learned about something I had never even thought about but it's important especially with those mothers and those babies it kind of creates that that bond um, that prison separates and so this allows you know things to happen in the prison that they can then ship that milk out to the babies and and there's a whole process that it's really not that expensive it's just some coordination to make it happen so that was one of them and then we had we had an interstudy study from a senator from Tulsa um, that talked about you know the ability of people who are leaving prison to go find employment. So there's a bill we passed last year, it's kind of called the Sarah Stitt Act, which makes sure that when people leave prison, that they have the documents they need to go function in the world, which is like driver's licenses and, and all the, you know, even resumes and things that they need, just the, the documents when you go apply for a job somewhere. It's a lot of times in the past, they just get turned out and you're on your own. So it's, there's a lot a lot more work now trying to make sure there's opportunities so that people leaving prison have an opportunity to join the rest of society in a productive way rather than be reincarcerated down the road. Right. Uh, difficult for a former inmate to, to find employment. And if uh, they can get those things taken care of, you know, a few months before they are released, then that's true. It's, it gives, it's, them a, gives them a little leg up. Just because they have the fact they're a former inmate, it's going to make it difficult. Mm -hmm. But then it's even added to that when they don't have things simple as a driver's license. So that's or or a, a state issue identification. Or so a that's, GED. Maybe. Yeah, all sorts yeah. of things like that. That's what that's that's what we're we're trying to do with some of the criminal justice reform is trying to find ways that people don't end up back in prison. How about you, Senator? Yeah. Yeah. Just. And I might clarify, George, so these interim studies, they just give us a little more time after session, outside of session, to look into an issue. So senators have the opportunity to file for an interim study on really any topic they want to. So we present that idea to leadership. Leadership will look at the idea and either grant the study or not. If they do, depending on what the topic is, it'll be assigned to a committee, public safety or whatever it might be. And then from that, we just have more time to bring in specialists, bring in people that can speak uh, from the front lines on those issues. So I really think there's a lot of value to those interim studies. Really, I've uh, tried to go to all the ones that I can, not only ones I present, but also the ones that I'm a member of the committee that it's been assigned to. Because really, I think the purpose of an interim study isn't necessarily to provide a preview of coming attractions. This is my bill. I'm going to present it as an interim study. But I already have my mind made up on how I'm going to lead that study. So it's going to show that I'm advocating for a certain cause. And that's where my bill, what my bill will reflect come session time. So that's really the purpose of these interim studies, and I think they've got a great value. And you try uh, to get to all sides, uh, get opinions well, from 
all in, in, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, yes. everybody wouldn't necessarily agree that you want to get all sides. I mean, right. if you're advocating for a certain position, true, you may not get someone that's going to speak against what your potential bill is going to speak okay. to. So, but I mean, everybody can do it. Have you run your and your interim session inter, interim study however you right. want to. But in my opinion, they should be objective. That's the whole point. And then if after that study, if um, you've seen there's some merit or some value to what you're studying, then yeah, legislation comes of it. I did a couple this year and uh, did one on noxious weeds, which is a pretty exciting study. Doesn't everybody want to talk about noxious <laughs> weeds? So that was assigned to yeah. the Senator Murdoch's Ag Committee. But it's about mostly about musk thistles, and that is an issue. If yes. if you're a farmer rancher out there, Senator Paxton knows about musk thistles and knows about noxious weeds. So that is an that is an entering interesting point for those people in the ag community. And we brought in uh, some uh, spokesperson from the Secretary of Ag here and also from her counterpart in the state of Kansas. Just to, and We don't necessarily need to recreate the wheel on a lot of these issues. So if I can pick somebody's brain in from Kansas or wherever and they've already tackled this issue and seem to be having some success with it, hey, I'm not above copying whatever they're doing. If it's working for them, let's make it work here. So we did a study about that. We also did one on uh, it pertains to taxation. Um this year in some budget meetings during session, we're really blessed with uh, adequate revenues. Really, the revenues came in a lot better than we thought leading in going into the COVID year. We didn't really know. So we cut a lot of agencies just preparing for a down economy. Well, thank God, unfortunately, that didn't happen. The economy in Oklahoma bounced back and really recovered quickly. So, I mean, that was as a result of ser several circumstances. People did come back to work sooner than we anticipated oil and gas and other commodities prices were strong so uh, we had revenues to work with more than what we thought so uh, it almost plus we had some COVID, some federal funds come down the pike so uh, we were able to restore a lot of those cuts and do a lot of things so it just made me think you know uh, how about we've restored these cuts that we've been in years past we've maxed out some of our savings accounts so at this point rather than to try to find places to spend this money let's send it back to the taxpayers and it made me think of years ago that I remember getting remember getting a check for ninety some dollars. I don't know if you remember that, Lonnie, or, but it turns out it was in two thousand five. Uh, the circumstances were that there was a budget surplus, and they were kind of in the same situation. So, if you filed a single tax return in two thousand five, you got forty a check for forty five dollars. If you filed a joint return, you got a you got a check for ninety dollars. Well, I remember thinking at the time, and I wasn't involved in government. You know keep your $90 check, just fix my bridge or buy my kid a better school. But, you know, I don't really need that. But anyway, that was done back in 2005. And as I looked into this, there are states that have laws in place. If certain thresholds are met, then the state of Oregon, I think, calls it a kicker. And if, if those thresholds are met, then people get people get some money back at the end of the year. So we did a study on that, and it, it was a study. I mean, I didn't really have any preconceived notions on what might come of it, but it was a study, and I think the jury's still out on whether or not we try to implement some legislation in that respect or not. But those are the two studies that I was involved in. Long answer for a short question. There you go. I apologize hey, hey, for that. George, it's funny he says that about, you know, just keep my $90 and just fix my road. Yeah. I actually called Senator Ron Justice and told him the exact same thing. <laughs> And if something happens, that will be some of the pushback, and, right. and people will say, and I get that, and it's a very real concern, but people say, you know, okay, now's the time to reinvest. Now's the time, whether it is transportation or, or whatever the issue, now's the time to reinvest. Well, we've learned in some of the down years since I've been at the Capitol that, you know, throughout budget cuts, you know, agencies can still function. 
in down years. They can't still deliver those critical services that they need to. So that just tells me we don't necessarily need to continue to raise some of these agencies' budgets. And that's a general statement. Right. Each agency operates differently, but in, in general, those agencies are able, still able to deliver those services. Uh, the medical marijuana industry and the grow industry are big issues these days, and I know there's been some reforms uh, proposed for the OMMA, I guess it is, the Medical Marijuana Authority, and you kind of had some uh, input or some dealings with that. And there's been, there's a lot of concern about the, the illegal industries, and there's a lot more than we thought there might be. You know, I do, George, and, and I don't mean to roll my eyes, but where do we start with that topic, really? And that was passed by the voters in 2018. It uh, did not pass in my district, and for the most part, it didn't pass in rural Oklahoma. It passed in, I don't know, maybe three or four counties across the state, and it carried it. I think it had a, was it 56% yes vote? I think it's what something like that that got it in. But um, in my opinion, in rural Oklahoma, seeing the repercussions of that, rural Oklahoma is where we're seeing these grow houses. It's where we're seeing the the land values skyrocket. It's where we're where we have concerns about electricity the demands of electricity for these facilities and the same with water the same demands that i mean what did i say each plant requires a gallon a day well there's a facility that I, an outdoor grow facility and just outside watonga it's 80 acres of outdoor grow and it's row after row after row of these plants so you just think how much water what is the demand for that in blaine county what's that doing to our aquifers so those are just some of the issues um but yeah we have uh the last time I checked, and you can go on OMMA's website and see these figures, but you can see what the tax revenue's been. You can see what the license revenue's been. You can see the number of different kinds of licenses, whether they're patient licenses or grow licenses or dispensary licenses. And the last time I checked, as far as grow facilities, we had around 8,800 grow facilities in Oklahoma. So that's over 100 per county. I'm not real smart in math, but I can yeah. do pretty quick. That's mm -hmm. over 100 grow facilities per county. It's a little, it's a, so it's changed the landscape right. really right. in rural And Oklahoma. that could be one greenhouse or it could be a, a big farm, I guess. That's so, right. Or, yeah, yeah, there were no, I mean, when at Senate, what was it, 788, the state question 78, when it was passed, it was a five page bill, which in our world, five pages is, is nothing. Sometimes the introduction to a bill is five pages long. So that entire bill for a huge new industry was five pages long. So there wasn't very much detail as far as the size of it. What is a grow facility? What is the definition of it? What does it mean? As far as these licenses goes, those those fees were set out sometime later, but those were all done through administrative rules, not through the legislature. So it's been an interesting process. And, and looking back, see. some of those fees are pretty cheap compared to other states. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree some of those are very inexpensive compared to other states. So same same thing. It's it has become a, a big issue. You know, a lot of people talk about the actual dispensaries that are located in municipalities, but what Senator Yek and I are dealing with is the is the issues with the grow facilities. And so there is Oklahoma has unfortunately put ourselves in the position where it's easier for out of country cartels and criminal organizations to grow marijuana in Oklahoma and ship it around the United States than it is, say, to bring it in from Mexico. So that's some of what we're dealing with now is most of these facilities, they have licenses from the state of Oklahoma. So the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics has been working on actual operations to figure out where all this marijuana is going, which oftentimes is to New York City and different parts of the country. And so they, it's, a, it's a long process to figure out that they're actually shipping this product out of the state. But OBN, Oakland Bureau of Narcotics, has done a fantastic job in, in you, they are having um, 
um, raids on these facilities, these that are illegally operating um, throughout the state. And they're, they're hitting them very hard right now. Some places are just folding up their tents and leaving because they know what's what's coming and, and they know that, that OBN is, is, is basically on the trail of the illegal activity. The people that are in the, the legal side of this operation, they, they are applauding what's happening because the the overgrowing of all these products and everything that's going on. So I'm part of a committee now that is going to be looking into what we need to do, working with the Bureau of Narcotics, working with the, the Oklahoma Mer- Medical Marijuana Authority to put together some frameworks of what we need to do to kind of get a clamp on this. The state question that Senator Yeck's talking about was a statutory state question. It's only five pages long, but it is statutory, which means the state legislature can come in and and amend that as we see fit. But we want to respect the vote of the people, but I don't think the people intended on what's happening right now in rural Oklahoma. So that's where we need to come in and get a little bit better reins on all this and, and kind of go in there and kind of maybe pull back, see what we need to do to have what the voters intended, not what the cartels are, are wanting to do. And But we're looking at things like, you know, for example, when a volunteer fire department's running on a grass fire, that's headed towards one of these rural grow facilities, there's issues because if they're doing extraction of products inside those facilities, there's a lot of dangerous chemicals in there. These facilities aren't, aren't labeled that there's dangerous, dangerous chemicals inside of them. So that's an issue. Some of these places, we're being told, are, are protected by armed guards. So what happens when you know, the fire department's trying to put out a fire that's approaching one of these places? If that's going on, we've heard stories about this. We have issues with the, the uh, farmers that have been spraying like 2,4-D products on their pastures for decades to keep broadleaf weeds out. Well, a marijuana is a broadleaf weed. And so if, if those intake fans on those greenhouses pull in 2,4-D, it's going to kill that entire crop. So a lot of commercial applicators of, of uh, 2,4-D on farm, farmland shy away from areas and will not, will not spray anymore in areas where there's a marijuana farm because of the liability threat out there. So that was actually an interim study, I believe, by maybe Senator Murdoch had a, had a study on that this year. So that's the kind of things that we're going to be delving into, not just the illegal activity, but how does marijuana – in rural Oklahoma, how does it how does it coordinate with the other crops that we already have to where, you know, I guess I use live in harmony, work in harmony as far as, you know, how does it all work together? So that's kind of things that, that we've kind of behind the eight ball on that we're that we're going to be working on. Uh, Senator Yek, have you d- talked about it? It's just uh, reviewed any possible uh, bills to consider in the upcoming session? Well, we'll see. I mentioned a couple of interim studies that I did. Right. I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to file any bills on that. I'm really not one to file a lot of bills. Um, everybody has their own opinion on that one, what new laws we need to implement, and I'll uh, I'll consider that. But um, really nothing now. Um, we're always approached leading up to session. I'm uh, chairman of a couple of committees, and sometimes those agencies within the committees, for example, Natural Resources, that's 13 different state agencies, so sometimes those agencies will come to me with legislative ideas that they have to tweak some of the things that are on the books for them or that will affect impact those agencies. So um, not necessarily planning on those, but I do anticipate it's always happened since I've been up there. So I look for those to come my way. And uh, generally, I, sp- I work with several different House members, and sometimes there'll be uh, issues that I'm very interested in that are uh, maybe originating in the House side. And It'll be issues that, that will impact my district that I may be impassionate about, and I will reach out to them to offer to be the Senate author on some of those issues. But nothing really on the table at this point. We'll have the normal education issues that we'll hear about. We'll have uh, public safety issues and transportation issues. We have those every year, but there'll be there'll be some others, I'm sure, that I'll get, be uh, happy to get behind. Right. You mentioned natural resources, and, of course, uh, both uh, both 
your districts of, in the scoop and stack plays, and we're seeing a little bit of a resurgence uh, in the region. So, and we mentioned uh, we are oil and uh, gas. Yeah, is, the prices is. are definitely on the rise. Price are, prices yeah. are back, so I think that is now profitable for some of those uh, in in my home area there around Kingfisher. A lot of wells were drilled a few years ago, but not necessarily completed. So. We're seeing some of those completions happening now, seeing a lot more sand trucks going up down the road. So that's, in, in my particular area, uh, that spurred the economy. I'm still not seeing that same uh, level out west. Uh, Elk City is still a little bit depressed as far as that goes. They haven't bounced back like like they've been before. But, yeah, we're seeing some bounce back activity in those areas, and that's that's always a blessing. But we talk about oil and gas. We talk about agriculture. We One of our efforts really is to continue to try to diversify Oklahoma's economy whether it's through aeronautics, seems like uh, that seems to be an area where we're thriving a little bit more and seem to be attracting some really good industries and really quality jobs. That's one area. And we, we talk about tourism. Those are also areas that we look to maybe draw in outside of the state uh, revenue. So those those are a few areas that we hope to continue to expand on. Lonnie, in, uh, I know last session you were uh, working on some uh, energy companies in your district, especially the drilling activity going up around the Tuttle, Bridge Creek, uh, Blanchard area, uh, getting some of those industries to help you with road and bridge uh, repairs and things. Right, that's and that's always an issue because the roads and, and same thing in Center X District, those roads are chip and seal roads or gravel roads. And, you know, when you have a fracking operation on a well site, there are hundreds of semis that come up and down those roads, and they're just not made for it. So that's some of the things that we've been looking at is how to do that. I'm actually one of the things uh, myself and some other senators are submitting as part of the, the funds that's coming from the federal government, the $1.9 billion of funds to be spent, is trying to get some money for the scoop and stack area to kind of build truck routes inside of these counties um, to have places that the trucks can target for the roads that they can drive down that roads that would be built to ODOT standards but but would be uh, administered by the county commissioner so that it would be a it would be a great way to help do that and so that's what we're, we're trying to trying to find a way to make that happen and but it is a uh, I mean, it's a continual problem and you know especially like area in Bridge Creek that is not a municipality but there's a lot of population and so and so that those citizens don't necessarily have the protections of a, of a municipality when it comes to the oil and gas drilling and where it can happen at um, and then so that's where you see a lot of activity out there and it's a pretty active play and so and so you do get that conflict and that we that we're trying to find a way to to mitigate and make it kind of work for everybody All right uh, just one final question I want you gentlemen to answer and the, there was an interim study about to making daylight savings time permanent so <laughs> Darcy, I'll let you go first on this one. I wasn't in the committee that that was assigned, and I'm not trying to bail on the question, really, because I yeah. do have an opinion. Uh, Senator Stevens is very passionate about that. That that may be one of those where I'm not sure we heard all sides of the issue or all sides of the issues were, were given then. But um, I don't. I think I'm a little bit ambivalent about that, really. I understand both sides. I don't like it. I guess a week from now, we'll be yeah, there. This weekend, so, yeah. This weekend. So come – 5.30 or 5.45, it's going to be pitch dark outside. And I don't like yeah. that. I like to go outside and still having a little bit of daylight. So I'm going to miss that. But uh, my concerns would be, you know, if we do change that, it's going to stay dark for a while in the morning. And what about those kids that have a long bus ride uh, standing on the standing on the corner and waiting for that bus? I'm a little bit concerned about that. How is that going to correspond with states around us that maybe have a different time than we do? So in my opinion that really needs to be a federal issue so let's everybody get and i think arizona and a few other states already recognize daylight savings time year-round i believe so 
that really needs to be a coordinated effort. I don't mean to say I expect the federal government to tell us what to do in in Oklahoma. I don't mean that at all. But I think it would help alleviate some of these concerns that I have with that. So we'll see. I look forward to if it does get to that point. um, It'll probably be in the general government committee, I would say. So I'm not on that committee, so I would say the first time I'll hear it will be probably on on the the floor. floor. So I look forward to the questions and debate, and that's the whole point of that is just to really delve in delve into a point and see see really what comes of it and this is a, a long ways down the road i mean even if the it gets through the legislature and the governor signs it the federal government still has to approve it and so it's still something that's a year or two or longer down the road i would guess well most so this came up two or three years ago a yeah. different a different senator silk i believe brought that um for discussion and i think most and i haven't seen this particular one i don't know what senator stevens is planning on doing but the one i saw several years ago it was basically it it would put us part of some type of a compact that if we passed it it wouldn't really go into effect unless every state that bordered us also adopted it so that way you wouldn't have the issue of of you know we would be have one time zone and dallas would have another because that could hurt us economically if we had that so so uh that's i don't know what we'll see on this i just remember that was the kind of more of a compact issue three years ago i have no idea what senator stevens is going to do i did not attend the interim study but i i'm interested in it but we'll we'll i'm interested in lots of things that never actually happen so <laughs> to be continued as they say senator yak thank you very much for coming in and sharing your time with us we appreciate it always a pleasure and thank uh, you for the invitation you i appreciate bet. it very much and senator paxton thank you for coming in today too same here we enjoy coming appreciate it